Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... I invented the piano key necktie! I invented it! What have you done, Derek? Nothing! You've done nothing! Nothing! Michael Preston. Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast. I am Michael Preston, as always, because that's what it says on my driver's license, and I just go with that when people ask me what my name is. I mean, it could be Zoltan, for all I know. we got plenty to get to coming up. I don't know what the heck that was. That was a pretty big non-sequitur, wasn't it? Coming up, we've got Brian Anderson here to talk a little quarterback battle, even though he doesn't really like it. Is this year Austin Apodaca's only chance to be the starting quarterback at WSU. Brian will tackle that question. Mark Sandberg are going to be along as well. We're going to talk a little bit of scholarship math and kind of go over a nice little review on all of that for spring ball, especially heading into fall football. It's a good primer uh, for scholarship limits, all that good jazz. So Mark got tons of good info for you coming up. We've also got our Dunderhead of the Week and, of course, Ask Michael Anything. It's coming up in just a little bit. But first, we've got a couple of things to get to here. First, I want to start off with uh, Ed Rush, I think we all know what happened there. A guy who, whether it was a joke or not, said, if you tee up Sean Miller, I'll give you money or a trip to Cabo. And sure enough, he got teed up. And there we go. There we have it. Ruining the integrity of the game a little bit by offering a bounty on a coach's head. Joking or not is probably a stupid thing to do. And Ed Rush, very probably rightly, fell on his own sword. Uh, I think Jeff put it perfectly in his piece earlier this um, last week about him. You know, he fell on his sword. That was how it was going to have to happen, and I think Larry Scott pretty much, in that case, told him, look, I'm either going to show you the door or you're going to quit. Which one do you want it to be? Now, Rush is Rush is an older guy. It's not like he's got a lot of other job opportunities awaiting him, and the, the dude makes enough money. His pension from the NBA uh, has six figures in it, I believe. I mean, it, it's not that he's lacking in making money, and he doesn't really need to resigned to keep his resume strong at this point but it, it definitely saves a little face for him but I, I get part of the bigger problem i have right here is that when, when you sign such a large media deal as the pac-12 did just a couple of years ago and and we we have larry scott to thank for that there's no doubt about that he was the most instrumental part in getting the largest tv deal in college sports history three billion with a b dollars over 12 years that is incredible but with the increased exposure, of course, comes increased scrutiny, and having image problems like this doesn't really help things too much. When your head of officiating is taking the integrity of the game and basically spitting on it by saying something like that, that's, a, that's an image problem. That's a big image problem. And things like that need to be obviously controlled a little better your initial response of well yeah we reviewed it and uh wasn't really that bad kind of seems like if the conference knew about it a couple of weeks before the report even came out that ed rush said those things and then ed rush resigns only after it came out so it, I, I, at least i think it kind of speaks to Okay, well, it got exposed. Okay, I guess now we should really do something about it. And it looks like they did. Who's the next head of officiating? I don't know. I'm just bringing Ed Hockley to do it. Just bring him in. just not another ex-NBA official. The last thing the conference needs is another ex-NBA official. Maybe Dick Cartmel? 
He resigned a few weeks ago. I mean, maybe he's not qualified to some minds, but I think a lot of people certainly think he was the best referee in the conference for a long time. Why not him? But the Pac-12's got an image issue to fix, and uh, they need to fix it quick with a really good head of officiating for basketball, especially going into next season when the conference, again, should be improving uh, in 2013, 2014. But that's looking way down the line. Also, another thing we're looking way down the line with, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of uh, what's going on at Martin Stadium right now, but uh, there isn't a west side to the stadium anymore. In fact, it's just a big old hole. They move like something like 18,000 cubic yards of dirt out of there. That's a lot of dirt. <laughs> And, and and now sitting back there, this is, of course, for the football operations building construction. I think this is a this is a more dramatic change in the stadium, at least in an initial phase of construction than we've ever than we've seen in the many, many steps of renovation to this stadium. I mean, you remember those renovations started way back in 2007, I believe, when they pushed out the concourse on what I guess would be termed the student section side of the stadium or the north end of the stadium when they pushed out the concourses and also added some concession stand to the east end of the stadium. But, I, I mean, and obviously the, the CFP really kind of upped the ante in terms of, wow, that thing is huge. But I, I think this is the most just dramatic change from an initial standpoint of there is now a big old hole on the west end of the stadium where the where the fob's going to be. And I, I know we talk about this an awful lot, but it's it's really exciting to see that money in action, that $61 million that's going towards this building to not only improve the football team, but to improve the athletic department as a whole. you got to remember, I think one of the most underrated aspects of the football operations building is it gets the football team out of Bowler. Why is that important? Because it opens up the rest of the building for all the other varsity athletic teams. Because face it, when the, fo- I mean, the football team lifts and shifts in the weight room, but they still take over the weight room. We got a hundred plus guys on a football roster, scholarship walk on and otherwise. We got a hundred plus guys on that team, and the other five varsity men's sports barely even total up to that, if they do at all. Although I'm sure there are plenty of male athletes on the track team, but I mean, still, you, I, that is when one team basically comprises, you know, half to maybe forty percent of your male varsity athletes. That's an awful lot. <laughs> that takes up an awful lot of room. So getting your most space-consuming team out of the building is going to open things way up for every other team. Really help them improve. But it's it's great to see really you know just the changes that Martin Stadium is going through. I think we can all agree before all these things started in terms of just being a Pac-12 stadium, the condition it was in was fine. The stadium was in a fine condition. It was just, I mean, I'll be honest, I think it was kind of a subpar venue. The concourses were cramped. The bathrooms, at least on the student section side, were too small and gross. And that press box for forever had been an inadequate facility. Steep for press, very little room for them, no suites virtually. And it was an older building. But everything's been so improved now. And this, I think, really the final step in improving Martin Stadium, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't really know if adding more seats is ever going to be in the cards. At least that's not for another five to ten years down the line. At least in my mind, you really got to start winning before you 
even consider it. I mean, you know, you could say, oh, well, you need to have the vision that you're going to start winning and add them now, but we've had the vision that we're going to start winning before. I don't want to retread that. Maybe the only other improvement we can make is to another indoor practice facility because right now the ass, and that's what it is, it's an air-supported structure, it's an ass, is not the greatest facility in the world, but it'll do for now, I guess. That might be the final step. But you know what? $140 million later, Martin Stadium is going to look really, really good. Brian Anderson coming up next right here on the Coop Center Podcast. Welcome back to the Coog Center Podcast. As promised, Mr. Brian Anderson, our play breakdown, just every air raid expert extraordinaire here to talk to us about a little spring football. Brian, how are the Tri-Cities right now? Uh, pretty gorgeous, actually. Mid-70s, sunshiny, not too bad. Not bad for early April. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you guys know uh, Brian on Coog Center does so much good work breaking down the air raid, just pretty much making us all smarter for having read it and, and all that good jazz. I mean, this is, uh, your breakdowns are fantastic. So let's start you out with this. We, we saw a feature Brian, you did on the offensive line. And I think we can, we can say, and we're being polite kind of when we say this, that the offensive line play was fair to poor last year. It was just not very good. What, what is it that the offensive line needs to do to improve in this Mike Leach offense is, is what they're doing pretty basic in terms of blocking or is it more complex than we think it is? Yeah, you're, uh, you're definitely being pretty kind when you say fair to poor. Um, they struggled a lot last year. Uh, there's like no real nice way to say that. Um, Leach doesn't do anything, uh, unique, I guess in the air raid. Uh, it's just pass blocking, it's pass blocking, it's pass blocking. It's it's kind of the same thing. So um, one thing that you kind of expect them to work on a little bit, and we just kind of touched on this in a couple of his interviews, but just getting depth on those drop steps, that'll kind of cut down on the rush angles and it'll give them a better shot at pass blocking. And, I mean, other than that, it's just getting better. <laughs> That's kind of all that you could really hope for them to do. Okay. We, we've talked about kind of those wide splits uh, before. For folks who may not be as familiar, uh, just kind of explain uh, what the what the philosophy there is. Is it, is it just kind of kind of like basketball man-on-man defense, or is it more like a zone defense where you're kind of you're blocking an area, not necessarily a person? Yeah, well, uh, lethal wideness splits out, and um, the splits are the space in between offensive linemen. Typically that's like a foot and a half, two feet, and – he uh, widens that out to about three feet. And, you know, the reasons for that are you can get better running lanes, theoretically. You get a wider distance there, so the running back's going to have more space. And the pass rushers are going to have to take different angles to get to the quarterback. And, and those angles will um, just make it tougher for them to get to the quarterback. And last year, <laughs> WSU just kind of didn't do too well, and I don't really think it had anything to do with the splits in particular. 
but just more, they weren't very good. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's just, it, they struggled not because of the splits, they just struggled because it, it, it was just a technique thing. They just needed to work on getting better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, it had more to do with ability last year. I got you. Now, we, we know the air raid as this pass-happy, you know, screw it, go deep type of offense. Or people like to think of it that way. More as a video game offense than an offense you see traditionally run in college football or the NFL. So the running back almost, for a lot of people, it kind of gets forgotten. Is there room in this offense for a running back to be successful? And what kind of needs to happen for that to occur? Right. Well, so last season, WSU uh, ran the ball 30% of the time through 70% of the time. They'd average 21 carries per game. Um, back when Leach was at Tech through 2000-2009, they averaged 23 attempts per game. So, I, I mean, it's pretty on par with what you could expect from Coach Leach. They aren't going to run the ball more, but they're going to be more efficient at it. Um, the yards per game average from the running backs is 29.1 which is horrific. Really. It's not even good for three first um, downs, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's pretty bad. You know, and, and his tech average was right at 90. So you aren't going to really expect a ton of um, production out of the running back, but they're going to be very efficient, and it's going to open up a lot of uh, a lot of the short yard passing. Um, so with the running back, you aren't going to really look for – I wouldn't expect them to – have a ton of success running the ball like they're going to be they're going to be decent at it but where they're going to be able to add production is in the throwing game they're going to be viable receivers most of the time and so that's kind of the all-purpose yardage is more what you would look for in an air raid offense than just strictly rushing Mm -hmm. now I, i know you've said before uh both in emails between us and comments on kook center you're not a big fan of quarterback battles you don't you're not <laughs> you're not out there I'm so excited about it but yeah. and that's a but big old jennifer lopez size but okay uh, could this falls be pretty interesting i mean i think it could be interesting here in the spring but do you think it gets even more interesting in the fall yeah absolutely it could be very interesting in the fall um I, i'm personally more excited to see the battle this spring because I, I I think that if Apodaca is going to be a starting quarterback, it needs to happen this year for him. Um, if he doesn't win the job this year, Halliday gets it. And then next year, Apodaca is looking at a returning senior that has a full year of experience and the up-and-comer is coming off his redshirt season. And that's just going to be a, a much tougher battle. You know, this season, he's got Halliday coming off of a little bit of a shaky year didn't get a ton of reps. You know, Leach, Leach actually says that their experience level is kind of equal, which is a little bit surprising. But I, I, I really think that if he's going to take advantage of his opportunity, it's got to be this year. Um, so I would expect him to push Halliday this spring. And, you know, who knows what Brooklyn's going to be able to do when he comes in here in the fall. Like, we, we don't really have a ton of tape on him. We don't know what his summer workout's going to be. We don't know how well he's going to pick up the system. So this fall just be really surprising on that front alone. Okay, what what does Connor? You kind of touched on his inconsistencies last year. Kind of to your mind, looking at his play and uh, what kind of quarterback he is. I mean, you're much more of an expert on this than I am. What does Connor have to prove 
to Mike Leach, you know, in these next few weeks of spring practice, uh, maybe just limiting it to that to, to kind of prove that he needs to be the guy ahead of Apodaca, at least on the depth chart. He needs to be ahead of him going into fall camp. Right. Well, so Carr really struggled with field vision. I mean, that's been said by just about everybody. Um, you could kind of see him lock on to his primary receiver. It didn't really come off of it. And, you know, your last podcast with uh, Bill Connolly, I, I just love the description he used. He said Connor plays hero ball, which is exactly right. Connor tries to make plays with his arm. Um, he's going to throw receivers open. He's going to make the big play. And what he really needs to uh, get better at doing is getting the ball to wide receivers so they can make a play. He needs to distribute. He needs to find the receiver in the open space rather than try to create open space for the receiver. Okay. Do you think it was, you know, at this point, Connor was probably better suited for Paul Wolf's offense? Is this something that is, is the air raid offense harder to kind of pick up as a quarterback than we, we think it might be? Or is this just maybe a case of Connor just may not be this type of quarterback? And, and you know, that that's fair. You're not going to be a quarterback for the system that gets brought in by a new coaching staff that you weren't expecting. So is it something that it's just a little harder to pick up than we thought? Or is it, just that Connor just may not be the perfect guy for an air raid system. Well, you when you when you learn one system and then you switch to another, you got to unlearn all the things that you you know previously gotten fairly good at. I mean, Connor was good enough to play at D one school. He had that amazing game against Arizona State, and then you bring in something else that's completely different, and you kind of have to unlearn those ha- those habits that he created. So I, I don't think that he's incapable of running the air raid. I, I think that he just lacked reps last year. I mean, that liver injury kept him out for uh, pretty much all of spring, most of summer, and then some of fall camp, too. And so when you're, when you're a quarterback and you're missing out on literally thousands of reps a day, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that can kind of impede your progress a little bit. So I, I think that... Um, you know, with all of that experience, all of those reps, I think he'll be able to, to improve his field vision. That's something that you can, like, you can get coached up on that. It's not like a throwing mechanic. It's it's not something that you're stuck with. Like, you can improve that, and you can improve that in an off season. Mm-hmm. And so this, yeah, so this spring, I, I think it's going to be a little bit telling. Um, the spring game in particular. I think we're going to really be able to see where Connor's at. Uh, you know, is he moving down his progressions? Is he targeting the field? Is he hitting open receivers? Is he trying to force the ball? We'll, we'll be able to get a pretty good gauge on him. And, you know, the, even after the spring, you got to remember there's still a ton of time for improvement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got all of the summer, and they do pass scale almost every day during the summer. So. Yep, absolutely. Final day of August in Auburn, Alabama. If I have to make you pick right now, Who's under center for Washington State? I'd say Holiday. All right, fair enough. Mr. Brian Anderson, the guy knows more about football than I'll forget in an entire lifetime. Thank you very much, Brian. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Mr. President. All righty. Hey, Sand Ritter's up next. we got to talk scholarship situation, right? That's always good to talk about coming out of spring ball. More coming up right here on the Coog Center podcast. And by the way, I did say that wrong. He'll forget more than I know in a lifetime. That's what I really meant right here on Cougcenter.com.
right, welcome back to the Coog Center podcast. Uh, pleasure. We're, we're pretty much just going through all the Coog Center authors. I'm going to get everybody on the podcast eventually. Next on the, uh, he was on the on deck circle. Now he's up here hitting. Uh, Mr. Mark Sandritter, how are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. Glad to be here with the famous Golden Throat. Oh, it's 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 silver this week, not quite golden. Uh, Mark Mark is the kind of the scholarship guru, if you will. He does a lot of the nuts and bolts for us, in addition to the hot cougar action posts every morning, which I think we've gotten some of the most unintentional hits on our website we've ever gotten with those titles. So that's fantastic. But yeah, <laughs> what what I want to talk about, I just want to go over some of the basics first with folks, especially. We obviously just got out of a recruit, a big recruiting cycle a couple of months ago. So, Mark, if you could just go over for everybody, what are the limits that can be offered to add, or what are the limits, rather, that you can obviously offer as many scholarships as you want to people, but it's there's a limit to how many you can who can sign and to how many you can gray shirt, and then what exactly a gray shirt is, if you can explain that. All right, so... Because it's the NCAA, obviously, it's confusing because they can't do anything simply. What? Why would uh, anything with the NCAA be simple to explain? Right. So the basic, the basic gist of it is from February, which is signing day, the first Wednesday in February, to the end of May, you can sign 28 players. That's the basic. You can sign 28. Then you can bring in 25 on scholarship for a new academic year, which in WSG terms would be sometime in August. You can bring in 25. The other three are either going to have to gray shirt or enroll early. So a gray shirt is essentially you just delay enrollment. Uh, Robert Lewis is a good example of that. He signed in 2012 and then delayed enrollment until January of 2013. That way you can count to either the 2013 class or your previous class to bring up their spot. So you can sign 28, you can bring in 25, and then you can fudge the numbers a little bit to get guys in. Okay, now the NCAA kind of, I think they changed the rules recently about that, didn't they? They they changed the gray shirting rules, if I remember right, or was it the number of guys you can sign? I can't remember which one it was. They, they added the 28 cap fairly recently. I want to say maybe last year even. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they did restrict it to 28, where in the previous days, you know, the SEC teams were signing 55 guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there is a new cap, but it's still, you can still play with the numbers. And, like, for example, they don't count heads until teams begin fall camp in July. So right now, it's basically untapped. So if you're bringing in guys in, at semester and Alabama's doing whatever they're doing, you can have 100 guys on scholarship right now. You just have to get down to your your maximum of 85 mm-hmm. in July and have all the numbers work out. Yeah, that's, that was going to be my next question, actually, was, you know, you obviously look at a WSU football roster. There aren't just 85 guys on there. There are usually at least triple digits worth of players on any given football roster between your, you know, practice squad guys and, and guys that are just kind of further down the depth chart in terms of special teams. So 85 being the limit, is there any real worry at WSU that they'll be over that limit? Or usually for every school, does it pretty much just kind of work itself out where, you know, players like uh, Henry Eady, Darren Markle will will depart, and that way you can give their scholarship uh, to perhaps another player incoming or to maybe someone who's earned it? Right. It's always going to work itself out. 
the thing uh, with it is, you you know, scholarships renew every year, so teams will sometimes get really ruthless with it and just cut guys, essentially. There's always guys who transfer for playing time, medical hardships. There's a lot of numbers like that. WSU is in no worry right now. Uh, they will easily get under the 85 and actually have some room to either add a couple players still or uh, reward a couple walk-ons with scholarships. Okay, now, speaking of that, how many of these guys usually do we see get awarded scholarships, say, uh, walk-on guys that have been there for a couple of years every offseason? It, it kind of feels like usually you know, maybe two, three of them kind of get rewarded for their efforts over the past couple of years with a scholarship, be it a half scholarship or a full scholarship. About how many do we see do that every year? You know, it's going to depend on how many spots there's open. there are open. Uh, but, yeah, you know, two, three. Right now, WSU has, based on my rough estimate, we, we're sitting at 62 scholarships on our current roster right now, the one that's going through spring football. You have another 19 guys coming in, scheduled to come in anyway, in uh, fall, so that puts you at 81. That gives you four spots. You know, could a couple of new guys sign? Alito Thompson, maybe Marcellus Pippins. Those guys could still come in if their grades mm-hmm. work out. Or, you know, you could have four walk-ons get scholarships. Cyrus Cohen picked up a scholarship last year. Mm-hmm. Leon Brooks picked up a scholarship last year. Um, you know, right now, you have a couple guys. Gunnar Eklund would be the probably the number one guy. If he's not on scholarship already, he's probably your top walk-on who uh, who could be getting one soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this is something that, you know, we and just emails between the authors and also uh, on on posts on Kook Center have been discussed before, is that we don't really know, you know, at any one time who is on scholarship and who isn't. Now, obviously, you can look back and say, okay, well, you know, obviously a guy like Jeff Toole was on scholarship or uh, Marquise Wilson when he was at the school on scholarship. Guys like that you know are on scholarship. But really when you get down to kind of that nitty-gritty, you don't really know who is on scholarship and who isn't. It's kind of just a best guess, isn't it? Right, it's just a guessing game. They, they renew every year, so you're going to assume that um, guys who come in on scholarship are going to stay on scholarship. If you're recruited as a scholarship athlete, you sign, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be on scholarship throughout your career unless you really fall off. Mm-hmm. The other guys, it's really just a guess. Sometimes there'll be guys who will be asked in the media, like Cyrus Cohen last year was asked during a press conference if he was on scholarship. He confirmed it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Other times, last year, we actually, or at least, uh, a couple guys, there was a word on Twitter back when WSU football players could go on Twitter. You know, players were congratulating Leon Brooks for being added to scholarship. That's how you find these things out. Otherwise, it's really just a guess. You know, mm-hmm. you can base it on playing time like Andrew Fernie. There's a pretty good chance Andrew Fernie's on scholarship by now. You know, yeah. it's never been confirmed. I know of, but, uh, you know, that's a safe bet. Okay. So going into fall, it looks like we should be good scholarship-wise then, you said, right? Yeah, they're, they're going to be in the low 80s most likely. There's probably still going to be, you know, there could be a departure or two still. Uh, that class that's coming in, there could be a couple guys who don't qualify. So they could be low 80s, even high 70s. If they don't fill a spot, they're going to have plenty of room to take a class of 25 next year. If they do fill a spot, they might reward a couple seniors, you know, Bennett Bontemps, mm-hmm. Joe Dahl, those kind of walk-on guys could get added on but yeah there is no worry about them they're not going to have to cut guys to get under 85 at this point perfect mark sandward he knows everything there is to know about this kind of stuff thank you for coming on sir
Anytime. All right, Dunderhead of the Week, it's coming up next, and it's related to Mr. Ware, but it's definitely not the poor kid who broke his leg. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Kook Center Podcast. It is time for our Dunderhead of the Week. And this one goes out to a guy who, you know, probably should be used to, at this point, used to getting an award like the Dunderhead of the Week. Jason Whitlock of Fox Sports. After Kevin Ware, the Louisville sophomore guard, who I'm sure you saw that rather horrific injury on Sunday. I broke my leg in like sixth grade. Just, just a simple little fracture in my tibia, tibia, yeah, tibula, whatever it's called, the, the shin bone. That made that look like a sprained ankle in comparison. Oh my god, wow! But Jason Whitlock on Twitter basically saying, I don't know why you guys are so, you know, why you're just being so melodramatic and going overboard with your love for this kid. He'll walk again. He'll walk in July. Don't worry about him. No, you're right. I guess I have also never had a bone or, uh, you know, you've never had a bone sticking out of your skin. The bone is sticking out of your skin, Jason. Like, I can't even comprehend how disgusting that is. And the replay, if you have not seen it, don't go look at it. I saw it happen first. Then we saw the replay sitting here with my wife. She was almost driven to the garbage can to vomit. It was disgusting. And that young man is in the hospital, and he is on a very long road to recovery. We can also talk about how that raised court that caused him to have to land awkwardly to stop from flying off it. Can we just get rid of those, by the way? Can we please get rid of the raised courts? I realize the floor at most football arenas is not made to have a basketball court on it, but gosh, a little less than a good three feet off the ground. For Jason Whitlock to basically sit there and say, oh, don't worry about it. He'll walk again in July. No, you're right, Jason. I guess a bone sticking out of skin is not a very serious injury that could affect his ability to A, walk properly for about the next year, or B, ever play basketball again. No, you're right, though. Totally normal. Whatever. No, totally. He doesn't deserve all the praise in the world for, you know, being someone who plays basketball for free while the NCAA and their TV partners make billions of dollars in the NCAA March Madness tournament. Oh, you're right, though. Totally. He's fine. Ask Michael anything. It's coming up next right Center podcast is going to wrap things up this week as we always do with Ask Michael Anything. First one coming from our very own Kyle Sherwood. I know he's been, he's really been agonizing with this one. Halloween night, Cougs have a home game on national TV versus ASU. And, uh, you know, this is, I guess, hypothetical at this point, but still something to wrestle with. It might be the same night as a home opener for the return of the Sonics. Which do you go to? 
It's got to be the Sonics game, right? I mean, I, I've been to a lot of Halloweens in Pullman, and yeah, nationally televised game, you kind of up the ante, but Sonics are back. Uh, that's pretty important. Martin Esterhoff asking, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Like 50 feet a second, right? That's about what it is, I think. Consult a physicist or whoever's in charge of that kind of crap. Next one coming from Jason Gross, giving two, two choices from a list of lamb, beef, pork, chicken, shrimp, or onions. What combination do you put on the grill? Beef and pork, right? Two best cuts of meat on there, I think. What's the definition of barbecue around the nation, and which do you prefer to eat? I am a big fan of Texas barbecue, the molasses-style barbecue sauces in the molasses base. I have had North Carolina, though, in North Carolina. Big fan of that as well, the vinegar-based sauces. Just a different bite to it completely. And... For sides, which is best, potato salad or coleslaw, onion rings, or steak fries? I'm a very traditional picnic kind of guy when it comes to that, so give me potato salad and and the coleslaw. That, that's the best way to go. Final one coming from PJ Kendall, and this is one I've always actually, always actually wondered if I was the only person who complained about this. Which group of people should be sent over Niagara Falls sans life jacket first? A, people who have 20 plus items in the express lane. B, people who don't put their grocery carts away in the parking lot. C, people with vanity plates. Or D, all of the above since most of these fit in all of that. Uh, I, I, if, if we're not going with D, I've got to go with the people who don't put their grocery carts away in the parking lot. If there are long lines everywhere and someone's got, you know, like 25 items in the dozen items line, then I get hurt. But I've seen people just leave their cart literally two spaces away from the cart return. And having worked in the service industry for a while, that just ticks me off. You can't take one minute out of your day to make my life a little bit easier. Or is it just the laziness? I think that's what it is. So put them put them in a barrel, push them over the falls. Cook Center Podcast comes back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for sticking with us for all the technical difficulties this week.